Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. The question today is a sensitive topic. How do we evaluate the past sins of our forefathers? And is the Bible silent or does it have something to say on this topic? In the past few years, and this is of course the year 2021, but for the past three or four years, this nation has turned its eyes towards its past history and in response to what they have seen and in response to what they have uncovered, there is an attempt to make right and to cast judgment and make evaluation of the sins of the nation's forefathers. And when we study the history of all nations, the full history of that particular culture or nation will include episodes of injustice. There will be found in every nation the exploitation of minorities, of the poor, of the weak, of women, of those who are perceived to be unequal. Every nation, therefore, has examples of men and women whose lives are made easier, more powerful, made richer, and more episodes of leisure on the backs of other people. It is those other people, sometimes slaves and servants, that have made life richer for the wealthy, for the powerful. Uh, virtually every American, for example, is aware to some degree of how in the southern United States for a period of almost 200 years, uh, plantation owners enjoyed lives of wealth, of leisure, of ease, of sports. And they did so on the backs of slaves who were kidnapped from West Africa. Even two of the most distinguished presidents in U.S. history, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, whose faces uh, adorn Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills of South Dakota, enjoyed comfortable lives, wealthy lives, on the backs of their slaves. They enjoyed benefits directly connected to the exploitation of people. A recent biography on George Washington by Ron Chernow shows how Washington uh, mistreated his slaves, the elder ones, even women who were pregnant, uh, his agreement as to giving them a place to stay and food was in exchange for work, regardless of whether they were sick or injured or regardless of the inclement weather. How do we look back, therefore, and evaluate that? Uh, slavery has existed in every civilization, but when it occurs in one's own country, when it's so close to home, and when those faces are still seen on a regular basis and viewed as heroes in the nation's history, uh, how then do we look back and evaluate? These are the men who 
followed the axiom that all men are created equal, and yet at the same time they kept some men and women in chains and refused to give them their freedom. It just seems like such a double standard, and of course it is a double standard. How then should we evaluate the sins of this nation's forefathers and even the sins of our own families in prior generations? Should we ignore them? Do we dismiss them? Do we downplay them? Do we whitewash them? Do we cover them up? Or do we simply say, well, the past is the past and we can't change it, so let's just move on and forget it. Let's ask the question, does scripture even deal with this issue? Does it provide any guidance as to how we might evaluate and judge the failures of the past? Well, the scripture does. But before we examine what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 6, and that's where I would like to begin, Luke chapter 6 and verse uh, 39, or perhaps even 37, where Jesus offers us some guidance on this matter, let's talk about how even today in the year 2021, we ourselves are enjoying a life of comfort, uh, a life perhaps of wealth, a life of leisure, a life of entertainment, a life of freedom, and we are doing so to some degree on the backs of other people, on the backs of people in labor camps on the backs of people even today in concentration camps, on the backs of people who are being tortured, on the backs of people who are slaves today. Yes, for example, a, a recent study by the Strategic Policy Institute produced a report about forced labor in China and with the approval of the Chinese government, thousands upon thousands of their own people, and in particular the, the youth Goers are today in both forced labor camps and concentration camps. And the report identified at least 82 companies that potentially benefited from forced labor, from slaves produced by these people. And some of these names, these companies today, are household names. Abercrombie & Fitch was named. Adidas, the maker of shoes. Amazon. Apple, one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in the computer field. BMW, Bosch, Calvin Klein, a clothing supplier, uh, General Motors, Google. I mean, who cannot go a day without using Google um, in their own work on the computer and Wi-Fi? Land Rover, Mitsubishi, Microsoft, Mercedes-Benz, Panasonic, Polo Ralph Lauren. Nike, Nintendo, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, these companies and other ones that could be named are all identified as potentially benefiting from the work of slaves that are going on today, the year 2021, in the People's Republic of China. The report estimates that more than 80,000 Chinese people have been moved from their own land to work in factories strewn across China between 2017 and 2019. That figure is conservative, and the real figure, the actual figure, is probably far higher. These people are forced to live in segregated dormitories. They're forced to learn the Chinese language of Mandarin and undergo ideological training. 
They are subject to constant surveillance, and they're forbidden from participating in their own religious observances. Then to make matters worse, uh, last year when a bill was introduced in the House of Representatives, H.R. 6210, introduced in March of last year, uh, the bill was designed to ban any imported good made with forced labor, with its eyes specifically on this group of people in the People's Republic of China. Some high-profile American companies actually fought against the approval of the bill. Two of the names that are reported to have resisted and fought against the acceptance of that particular bill was Apple and Nike. Then some of you are familiar with the well-established, highly reputable Business Review. It reported that seven Apple suppliers had links to forced labor programs in China. Then another well-known, well-respected organization called Human Rights Watch has estimated that a million of these people have been persecuted in China, and China has detained them in what are called internment camps, forcing them to abandon their culture and to learn a new language. In response, there was pushback. China called these camps re-education camps. But if these people refused to work in these camps, they were sent to prison. Reports coming out of the camps indicate rape, torture, and forced sterilization. In conclusion and in summary, this group, the Human Rights Watch, Watch, said in April that China is committing crimes against humanity. That phrase was used in the earlier part of the 20th century to describe Hitler's genocide against the Jews. And so, if we have used software by Microsoft, if we have worn Nike shoes and driven a car by General Motors or by um, BMW or Mercedes, if we have used laptops uh, such as an Apple, then we too, in some way, are complicit in the uh, exploitation of people, and we are enjoying a better life, an easier life, on the back of people in forced labor camps. Uh, Amnesty International, well respected as a watchdog around the world for the mistreatment of people, mistreatment of minority groups, uh, details that China has basically provided a systematic state-organized mass imprisonment, torture, and persecution against these particular people. And it entails the extensive cover-up of efforts by the government to conceal what is going on. So here is a nation in the 20th century that engages in genocide, racially profiled forced sterilization, all sponsored by the government. How many products in my home and in your home were manufactured in China? Like, for example, we have a microwave and a refrigerator made by Samsung. That's one of the companies that was named in the report. So when we look back at our own history and see what, uh, what George Washington, how he lived, how his life was made easier on the backs 
of exploited people, how then do we evaluate them if we ourselves are complicit in a similar way? True, we don't have slaves, as Washington did, as Jefferson did, but that's not the point. The point is, are we today in some way enjoying a measure of life and comfort and ease on the backs of exploited people? And the answer is yes, we are. We are in some way complicit. It is unusual and ironic that the people today who use social media, such as Twitter, to judge the sins of this nation's forefathers, to preach social justice, to promote reparations, etc., are enjoying their phone or their computer-based platforms that are manufactured on the backs of slaves. I guess you might say it's an illustration of the pot calling the kettle black. So let's return to the question. How then, when we look back at the sins of our forefathers, do we evaluate them? How do we judge the failures of national leaders that are heroes in the eyes of most of the population of this country? How do we do that? Well, the answer seems to be that we would first look at ourselves. And we cannot ask questions about the exploitation of people in the past in isolation from questions that consider our own complicity in exploitation and the evils of today's global economy. We are all complicit, and our hands are not as clean as perhaps we would like to think they are. Now, one of the questions that I posed at the beginning is, does Scripture offer any guidance? Well, it does, and in this particular case, uh, it is the message given by Jesus in Luke chapter 6, primarily that deals with the issue of how do we um, deal with our enemies. And the, the message that Jesus seems to give, of course, that is explained and illustrated is that we are to love our enemies and to good to them who mistreat us. And when Jesus arrives at a discussion point about evaluation and condemning and judging people, he says this words, immediately having said that we ought to be merciful in the same way that our Father is merciful. Merciful to people who owe us, merciful to people who mistreat us, uh, merciful to people who take things that are ours. The Father shows throughout history that he is merciful to such people. And because we are followers of our Father, connected to the Son by faith, that we therefore want to become like our dad, our spiritual heavenly dad, to be merciful. Here are then our illustrations in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. In other words, if we withhold judgment, then God withholds judgment of us. Don't condemn, and you will not be condemned. So if we withhold condemnation from people, then condemnation will be withheld from us. Forgive. Forgive people for their wrongs against you. Forgive people for how they've mistreated you. Forgive those people who are responsible for exploiting you, mistreating you, abusing you. Forgive them, and you, yourself. When God looks at your account, when God looks at how you have treated people, you too will be forgiven. Then he 
explains how that forgiveness ought to be given. Give. It will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. And he explains what he meant by that, saying, For with the measure you use, that is to judge, it will be measured to you. So the standard that we apply to other people when we evaluate them, when we judge them, that same exact measure will be used to measure us, to measure our mistakes, to measure our failures. So what we want to do is look at ourselves first and say, am I guilty? Am I complicit in one of these failures? Am I complicit with our forefathers in some way? Am I living a better life in the same way that Washington lived a better life on the backs of slaves? Well, to some degree, and granted it is not equal, but to some degree we too are complicit. And so we want to look back at the past and apply a standard that we ourselves can be expected to be used against us. This is how God will deal with us as we have dealt with other people. Then he goes on to ask this question, and it's related. It's connected, and it's, and it's directed towards leaders, young and old, men and women. Can a blind person lead a blind person? What's the answer to the question? No, they can't. Will they not both fall into a ditch, some sort of a pit that they can't see? Well, yeah, they will. So if I am blind, to my own failures, then if I attempt to lead my family and to lead my children and my disciples and my students, and I maintain this attitude of judgment, of judgmentalism, of condemnation, then the people who watch me and follow me and are, and are my students, they too will become blind. They will be unable to see themselves. They will be unable to examine their own lives and admit their own failures. He asks, why then, in verse 41, why then do you gaze or look at a speck of dust, sawdust, in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the log or the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you phony. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then it will be clear for you to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What Jesus is teaching us here as leaders, whatever leader we, whatever leadership position we occupy, is that we must be self-critical, first of all, self-evaluating, self-corrective. We must be looking in our own eyes before we start looking at the problems in other people's eyes. This is a mark of a godly leader, is someone who looks at his own life and sees the failures sees the mistakes, sees the errors, sees the sins, sees the complicity, and takes action. Takes action to do what we can to remove those problematic areas, those areas of weakness, those areas of our failures. And then we're in a position to help other people do the same thing. So if we ask the question that we posed here at the beginning of this episode, how then do we evaluate? How then do we look back at our nation's past and look at slavery or the treatment of Native Americans? Should I say the mistreatment of Native Americans? How do we do that? 
Well, on the one extreme is to simply deny the past. It's to simply say, well, you know, <clears throat> it doesn't make any difference. Uh, God was moving to create a great country, and we just don't need to focus on that. This is not an incorrect response. This is not a correct response. We must evaluate what we have done honestly. But it's the measure of judgment that we use that is being tallied here. It is the measuring stick of uh, what attitude do we use as we speak about failures in the past. And Jesus is asking us to use the same standard to evaluate ourselves. And so some takeaways I think might come to mind here, to your mind, they do to mine, based on the fact that uh, we want to use the same measuring stick to measure ourselves as we use to measure our past. First, when we do open our mouth or when we write an essay and record our thoughts, our evaluation about the sins of the past, like the sins of slavery, and about the people who were in a system that exploited people, we might consider being less sanctimonious, less critical, and more self-critical, less evaluative, and more self-evaluative, more cautious in our words, more humble in our attitude, more forgiving towards those people, more hesitant to condemn, more honest about ourselves, and more respectful. Why? Well, someday people are going to write your history. A generation or two from now, a future generation will look back at this generation in 2021, and they will write our history. We don't write our own. What will that future generation say about us? Will that future generation say, well, they're just like the early colonists. They're just like the early colonists who occupied this country on the backs of slaves. They may have a right to say that. And so rather than allowing the future generation to look back at us as arrogant, proud people, condemning others without ever looking at ourselves. Instead, why not consider toning down our words, having much more generosity and humility and understanding about past failures, at the same time admitting our own and knowing that it is a difficult situation. Uh, how do we extricate ourselves from the position we're in today? How can we stop using Microsoft or uh, Samsung, or Google, or uh, any sort of product that we're using today that makes our life better. It's not easy. We cannot extricate. It's the way the system works. Uh, there's no easy answers to this. It's complicated. But what is clear is that as the evidence comes out today, and even if we don't know it, we are to some degree complicit in the exploitation of people. And the life we live today is on the backs, to some degree, of slaves. So Jesus' words in Luke 6.38 certainly resonate with this issue. For the measure or the measuring stick you use to judge others, pronounce judgment on others, the same measure will be applied to you. 
the second thing that comes to my mind by way of a takeaway is not only should we perhaps be less sanctimonious and more humble and less proud and condemn, condemnatory, perhaps the second thing we might consider is to refuse to be a simple bystander or an enabler of our present system. Look around you today. Look around in your community, your job, your school, your church, your family, and does God give you an opportunity, it might be small, to make a difference in healing the existing breach between races today in this country due to the practice of slavery for two centuries. What would God have us do for the remainder of our days on this planet to make a difference in healing the breach and the division and instead build a bridge of trust and love? What opportunities has Jesus given us today? Rather than being a bystander and doing nothing, rather than enabling perhaps people that are creating divisions instead of building bridges, what could we do to make a difference in our speaking, in our relationships, in the people that we have over to our home, in our ministries? What is it that God has given you an opportunity to do or to say to be not a bystander, but someone who actually makes a difference. Uh, recently, I, I, wrote, I read a book by Amos Giorra, who is a Jewish lawyer who for 20 years served in JAG with the Israeli Defense Force, which is called IDF. He was, uh, then he moved to America and became a law professor. And he wrote a book called The Crime of Complicity, The Bystander in the Holocaust. And by the title, of that book, The Bystander in the Holocaust, you can pretty much tell what he is uh, recording about what happened in the Holocaust. Uh, looking at people who could have made a difference, looking at people who could have saved lives, looking at people within Germany who knew what was going on, who knew the systematic program of genocide to eliminate the Jewish people and they stood by and they did nothing. They were bystanders in a Holocaust. Uh, refuse therefore to simply be a bystander. At the end of your life I believe that a great sense of regret will come over you when you realize that God gave you opportunities to make a difference, to heal the breach and you forwent them. You were too busy. You wanted to go to the beach. Uh, you wanted to play a game of golf rather than making a difference in the lives of people who might uh, have been won over to a side of forgiveness and racial reconciliation. The last thing that I would consider a takeaway is uh, consider what we might do to make a difference in today's economy, our global economy, where people who are exploited are still forced to work in slave-like conditions where crimes against humanity occur on a daily basis. What is God calling us to do about that current situation? Uh, we can look back and say, yeah, uh, the slavery of colonial and antebellum America was tragic. We can't change that history. But today is a different day. Today is our responsibility. This day, this month, in September of 2021 is our responsibility. So instead of an accusatory finger pointing at the world 
200 years ago, why not look at our present day complicity and responsibility and say, God, what do you want our church to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want our family to do? What can we do for the glory of God to make a difference? This will bring so much more credibility to our confession of Christ in this century. This will make, uh, in the eyes of people of our culture who have no thought for God, it would give the Christian church a far better platform to speak and to act and to have a voice. When we ourselves are not choosing pleasure and the, the pursuit of the American dream, but instead we are trying to make a difference in the lives of people who are in misery, in slavery, in poverty, and our lives will speak of the love of Christ. Our lives will speak of the love of people rather than the love of money or the love of ourselves or the love of our own um, lifestyle. Uh, I close with uh, another illustration from the same man who wrote The Crime of Complicity, the bystander in the Holocaust. Uh, Amos Giorra was then asked by some people to write another book about what had just happened here in the United States of America. And the title of his book was Armies of Enablers, Survivor Stories of Complicity and Betrayal in Sexual Assaults. And here he takes on major educational institutions. Three of them are in the Big Ten Conference, major universities well known to the rest of the population of the world he also examined the Roman Catholic Church and doctors and noticed that in each case, the people who employed um, sexual predators, the people who were responsible for writing the paychecks of sexual predators for years and years, uh, did nothing to help and support the victims. When the victims expected People from that church, from that school, from that doctor, people expected, the victims that is, expected help and support rather than uh, an empty chamber, rather than a lack of support, rather than basically turning a blind eye. Amos Gida shows that these major institutions, religious and educational, stood by and did nothing for the victims. They were complicit, and more than being complicit, they betrayed the victims. They betrayed them. It's going on today. It's going on today in the year 2021. So consider what we might do as individuals in our career, in our vocations, wherever God has placed us, to make a difference in today's global economy where people who are exploited Vulnerable people, weak people, minorities. People are still forced to do things that uh, others do who are more powerful, who are manipulative, and they need an advocate. They need people to call others out. They need to come in and help. They need to make a difference in these terrible situations. So we started and we'll end with the question, what does God call us to do? How do we judge the sins of the past? We look at ourselves first in order to get a fair treatment, in order to obtain a fair measure of evaluation. And then, rather than standing by, being bystanders and doing nothing, let's ask the question of ourselves, of our churches, of our families, of our schools. What can we do to make a difference? 
to relieve the misery and the pain and the suffering and the exploitation of people around the world. I really hope that you might take the time to have a family discussion about this at supper or through uh, one-on-one at, for a coffee somewhere with someone, uh, someone you're discipling, a class that you're teaching your children, uh, your friends, your group of friends, instead of just going out and hanging out. Why not do something significant? Why not do something that will make a difference in the world? Why not be able to systematically spend your life in relieving the suffering and the misery and pain of people in this world who have no voice, who operate in secret and need someone to come along and say, hey, how can I help you? How can I get you out of this situation? And then calling out people who are responsible for it and doing it in such a way that you realize your own flawed uh, human condition, that you are not proud or arrogant, but that you are trying to make a difference for the sake of the glory of God and the cause of the gospel. So thanks so much for listening to this, another episode of Unanswered Questions. We hope it was an encouragement and an inspiration and motivation to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.